0: European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 11. Focus Issue, Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Past and Future Channelopathies and a Focus on Cardiac Arrest. This Focus Issue on Arrhythmias contains a special article contribution entitled 1970 to 2020, 50 Years of Research on the Long QT Syndrome from Almost Zero Knowledge to Precision Medicine Authored by R. Peter Schwartz from the IRCCS in Milan, Italy A lot has been written about Long QT Syndrome or LQTS and there is a wealth of traditional reviews summarizing the existing knowledge on epidemiology, pathogenesis, clinical presentation and state of genetic testing. But this special article is very special indeed. Professor Schwartz notes that those involved in clinical research rarely begin working on a rather obscure disease, still largely unexplored, following its ripening into a medical entity of large interest to clinicians and basic scientists alike, and to do so for exactly 50 years. This is what has been Professor Schwartz's privilege in the relentless pursuit of the intriguing disease known as LQTS. The essay begins with the encounter with his first patients affected by LQTS when just a handful of cardiologists had seen similar cases and continues with the series of efforts, some sounding amateurish, which eventually led, together with many brilliant partners and associates, to describe and understand the natural history of the disease and the most effective therapies. It then touches on how the International Registry for LQTS with its well-documented family trees, constituted the necessary springboard for the major genetic discoveries of the 90s. From the explosion of genetic data, his own interests focused first on the intriguing genotype-phenotype correlation and then on modifier genes, in the attempt to understand why family members with the same disease-causing mutation may have an opposite clinical history and from there on to IPS-derived cardiomyocytes used to unravel the specific mechanisms of action of modifier genes and to explore novel therapeutic strategies. This long and highly rewarding journey continues because the fascination and the attraction of the unknown is irresistible. Regarda syndrome, or BRS, was first described as a primary electrical disorder predisposing to sudden cardiac death, or SCD, by the Brigada brothers, although the eponymous title was only bestowed four years later, eight patients had demonstrated an electrocardiogram or ECG pattern of right bundle branch block, normal QT interval, and persistent ST segment elevation in precordial leads V1 to V2–V3, not explainable by electrolyte disturbances, ischemia, or structural heart disease. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Brigada Syndrome and Reduced Right Ventricular Outflow Tract Conduction Reserve A Final Common Pathway? Elijah Baer from the Georges University of London in the United Kingdom and colleagues note that Brigada syndrome, as previously mentioned BRS, was first described as a primary electrical disorder predisposing to the risk of SCD and characterized by right precordial lead ST elevation. Then, early description of right ventricular structural abnormalities and of right ventricular outflow tract, or RVOT, conduction delay in BRS patients set the stage for current controversy over the pathophysiology underlying the syndrome, channelopathy or cardiomyopathy, repolarization or depolarization. This review examines the current understanding of the BRS substrate, its genetic and non-genetic basis theories of pathophysiology, and the clinical implications thereof. The authors propose that the final common pathway for BRS could be viewed as a disease of reduced RVOT conduction reserve. Since its description, the BRS has gained increased scientific interest as a cause of SCD due to ventricular tachycardia fibrillation in young and otherwise healthy individuals. Regarder syndrome is believed to be a genetic disease, although the majority of clinically confirmed cases lack molecular validation due to our current lack of understanding of the genetics of this syndrome. Despite SCN5A being the most commonly known mutated gene to date, the genotype-phenotype relationship is poorly understood and remains uncertain. In a clinical research article, Regarda syndrome genetics is associated with phenotype severity. Giuseppe Cicconte from the IRCCS Polyclinico San Donato in Italy and colleagues aimed to elucidate the genotype-phenotype correlation in BRS. BRS probands deemed at high risk of future arrhythmic events underwent genetic testing and phenotype characterization by the means of epicardial arrhythmogenic substrate mapping and were allocated to two groups according to the presence or absence of SCN5A mutation. 200 probands, mean age 43 years, were included in this study. SCN5A positive patients exhibited a larger epicardial arrhythmogenic substrate area, more prolonged electrograms, and more frequently late potentials at non-invasive testing. The presence of an SCN5A mutation explained greater than 26% of the variation in the epicardial-arrhythmogenic substrate area and was the strongest predictor of a larger epicardial-arrhythmogenic area. The authors conclude that in BRS, the genetic background is the main determinant for the extent of the electrophysiological abnormalities. SCN5A mutation carriers exhibit more pronounced epicardial electrical abnormalities and more aggressive clinical presentation. These results contribute to the understanding of the genetic determinants of the BRS phenotypic expression and provide possible explanations for the varying degrees of disease expression. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Connie Berzina from the AMC Heart Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands and colleagues. The authors note that while we are still at the early stages of being able to offer individualized prognosis for BRS patients, studies like the one by Chiconte and colleagues are beginning to illuminate the path between genetic risk factors and clinical outcomes. Although COVID-19 manifests primarily as a severe respiratory infection, numerous studies demonstrate that cardiovascular complications are common and pre-existing cardiovascular conditions are predictors of survival in COVID-19. The first cases of COVID-19 in Sweden were reported in early February 2020. The Swedish Public Health Authority declared community spread in Sweden on March 16. As a consequence, updated guidelines from the European Resuscitation Council, or ERC, and the Swedish Resuscitation Council, recommended that bystanders avoid ventilation and focus their resuscitation attempts on chest compressions only in the case of suspected COVID-19. In a clinical research article entitled Cardiac Arrest in COVID-19 Characteristics and Outcomes of In- and Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest A report from the Swedish Registry of Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation Pedram Sultanian from the University of Gothenburg in Sweden and colleagues study characteristics and outcome among cardiac arrest cases with COVID-19 and differences between the pre-pandemic and pandemic period in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, or OHCA, and in-hospital cardiac arrest, or IHCA. The authors included all patients reported to the Swedish Registry for Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation during January 1, 2020 and July 20, 2020. Santania et al. enrolled 2,000 cases of OHCA and 1,000 cases of IHCA. During the pandemic, 10% of OHCAs and 16.1% of IHCAs had ongoing COVID-19. Adjusted 30-day survival was 4.7% for patients with COVID-19. 9.8% for patients without COVID-19 and 7.6% in the pre-pandemic period, P equaling 0.03. Adjusted 30-day survival was 23.1% in COVID-19 positive cases, 39.5% in patients without COVID-19 and 36.4% in the pre-pandemic period, P equaling 0.04. The authors conclude that this is, to the best of their knowledge, the most detailed report on characteristics and outcome in COVID-19 patients suffering cardiac arrest within and beyond the hospital perimeter, and that they report a number of unexpected findings, many of which highlight the severity of COVID-19 and the potential shift in the epidemiology of cardiac arrest brought by this pandemic. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial Xavier Juven from the Université de Paris in France and colleagues. The authors note that these findings highlight the importance of anticipation and planning in the management of healthcare crises. The observations with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic and OHCA should serve as an important wake-up call for healthcare systems worldwide to develop blueprints and contingency plans for preparedness in case of such eventualities. With the improvements of pharmacological and device therapy, early and more aggressive cardiovascular prevention, and prompt coronary intervention, there has been a gradual and substantial reduction in SCD risk over the last two decades in patients with heart failure. Thus, one may even reasonably speculate whether the results of implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or ICDs, randomized trials, Would be the same if conducted in the current era of heart failure management, as the evidence supporting guideline recommendations for the ICD dates from the late 1990s and early 2000s. There is especially a need to revisit the current status of routine primary prevention ICD implantation in women. This issue contains a viewpoint article entitled Time to Revisit Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator Implantation Criteria in women, by Sergio Barra from the Hospital da Luz Arabida in Portugal and colleagues. The authors note that low participation of female patients in ICD trials is a long-standing problem, but physicians and guidelines continue to extrapolate from results derived mainly from men to recommend routine ICD implantation in women, despite lack of clear proof of mortality reduction. Conversely, the benefits of ICD in men may have been relatively underestimated when looking at the data in total. It is evidence that the data being used for decision-making are both outdated and also weak with respect to potential benefit in women. Hence, it can be strongly argued that true equipoise exists for new, well-designed, randomised trials assessing the efficacy of primary prevention ICDs particularly in female patients, in conjunction with current heart failure therapies. The issue is complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In an article entitled, Prognostication After Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, Biases and Caveats, Andrew Williams from the King's College Hospital in London, United Kingdom and colleagues comment on the recent publication entitled, A Practical Risk Score for Early Prediction of Neurological Outcome After Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest Miracle 2 by Nilesh Parikh from the King's College Hospital NHS Foundation Trust in the United Kingdom and colleagues. Parikh and colleagues respond in a separate contribution. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.